Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Nick from Live Rehab. And I'm Denise. And today we're coming at you to talk to you about mental health. I'm Nick Roberts. I'm Denise Roberts. And welcome to Addiction Radio, the podcast from Live Rehab. We believe people should be able to beat their addictions without having to give up everything. Your journey to recovery and a healthier life starts right now. In this episode, we're going to talk about what's called the chicken and the egg theory, meaning what came first? You might have a mental health struggle that's caused by your substance use, or maybe your substance use you're using because of a mental health struggle. We're also going to talk about co-occurring disorders, and co-occurring disorders are just like they sound when you have a mental health diagnosis, and also you're dealing with an addiction substance abuse problem as well, why it's important to treat both at the same time. And some of you may be unsure. You may not know if you're struggling with your mental health, and that's okay. We're going to talk about what's called the 30-day test. After the 30-day test, we'll also give you some advice on how you can search for an addiction or mental health professional to help you if you are dealing with a mental health diagnosis as well. And even if you don't think that you're struggling with your mental health, this episode is for you too, because we're going to talk about things like self-care and how you can take care of your mental health now. So let's first start off by talking about this chicken and egg theory. And it's kind of just like it sounds, the chicken or the egg. So what came first? Did your substance abuse issues or um, addiction-related behaviors come before a mental health issue? Or did you have mental health issues before you became addicted or were dealing with some sort of substance abuse issue? And it's important that you think back to when you were a young child or when you first started experimenting to figure out kind of where this behavior might have originated from. Yeah, so for example, if you started uh, partaking in your addiction at a young age, like 12 or 13, you may not know. Like if uh, a 12-year-old smokes marijuana to relieve their ADHD symptoms, you know, they don't, and if they didn't know that they had ADHD prior, all they know is that, you know, smoking weed helps them feel better. Yeah, and so they've got to, you, you've got to try and think back to those periods in your life where you did begin the, uh, experimenting, which is totally normal. You know, kids and adults uh, of all ages uh, certainly experiment to make themselves feel better. And so then going back, kind of digging deep inside and trying to figure out, okay, uh, was I doing this because it felt a certain way? And did it help relieve the symptoms that I was feeling with my mental health issues? Um, some people, you know, may may partake in something that helps them feel less depressed. Um, depression is obviously a common uh, mental health diagnosis. And so, uh, unfortunately, most addiction, um, addictive related behaviors don't actually improve the depression. They just kind of mask those those feelings. And, and it's important too to recognize as well that uh, maybe what happened was, you know, you started to experiment or you started to partake in your addiction and those brought on some mental health struggles after the fact. And that's normal too. That can happen. Um, so for example, let's say, you know, you started to experiment with cocaine or crystal meth or, or whatever it is, and things were fine before, but then all of a sudden, you know, a couple years into, uh, your substance use, you started to get anxiety or you started to, you know, these other things started happening. Um, it's quite possible that all of that is caused by, uh, your addiction, whether it's behavioral addiction or substance use addiction. And by just stopping your drug or alcohol or behavior addiction, that those mental health struggles will start to go away on their own. And that's what you're really looking for at, um, at that point is to make sure that those 
those feelings or those mental health issues have subsided and they do subside once you get into recovery and in and and you're sober and you're no longer you know partaking in those behaviors because if they don't that's when you need to start thinking about potentially having a co-occurring disorder that you're going to need to seek some help with. Um, but before we go into seeking help, I kind of want to explain what a co-occurring disorder is and why it's important for you to know. Yeah, so a co-occurring disorder is what we call in the addiction and recovery field. Um, it's, it's a disorder, and some of you may like labels some of you may not so don't get too caught up on that whole label thing but it's basically when you're diagnosed with a substance use disorder as well as a mental health disorder um and the reason why uh that diagnosis is important to have is because um in this field we want to make sure that you are treating both at the same time because if you're not treating both your substance use disorder and your mental health disorder at the same time um you're not going to be able to, like recovery is going to be nearly impossible, right? Because once you stop uh, using uh, drugs, alcohol, or your addiction, you're still going to have that mental health uh, struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, like that's still going to be there. And if that's still there, you're going to want to like use drugs or alcohol or your addiction to help you feel better. And who wouldn't want to feel better? It's very true. And it's, it's one of the main reasons that we have the sobriety success model in the fact that we treat kind of the whole biopsychosocial approach to life because there are oftentimes underpinning mental health issues. And it's not always the case. And you don't always have to have a diagnosed co-occurring disorder for you to experience depression or anxiety related to your substance abuse. But the two things are very separate in the fact that, you know, a co-occurring disorder um, is something that you do get diagnosed for, and it is something that you you do seek professional help for. Um, this this episode is not professional help, and we're not trying to provide you with with that. But it is um, something that you need to be aware of, and something that you may need to identify in your own life. And you, you're going to need to find a way to identify that, which is why we have the 30 day test. Yeah. So some of you still up to this point may be unsure, right? Like. Uh, you may be thinking, mm, I'm not sure, you know, like thinking back to the chicken and the egg theory, maybe you started using drugs and alcohol or, or partaking in your addiction at a very young age and you're, you're still like, oh, I don't know what came first. Was it my addiction or was, you know, was it the substance use or, or was I already depressed before or feeling anxiety before and you really can't remember? And that's okay. Um, that is also normal. Um, so we have what we call as the 30-day test. Okay, so the 30-day test is uh, something that we have here at Sobriety Success. We came up with this so that you can better understand yourself and whether or not you may be struggling with your mental health because some of you may still be unsure up to this point, right? You've gone through the chicken and the egg theory in your head and you're thinking, gosh, I don't remember uh, what it was like before I started using I, we, the co-occurring disorder thing. You're, you're not sure. You're like, maybe I have depression, maybe I have anxiety or some sort of mental health issue, but I still don't know. Uh, so the 30-day test is uh, basically it's we ask you to stop using drugs or alcohol or partaking in your addiction for a full 30 days to work the sobriety success program. And then at the end of it, if you're still feeling like you're struggling with your mental health, that's when you'll know, okay, yes, I may have a mental health struggle or 
no, my mental health struggles went away because I've stopped using drugs or alcohol. And it is going to be incumbent on you to make sure that you're paying attention to signals within your own headspace and within your own life because you will have stopped partaking in drugs or alcohol or addictive behavior within the past 30 days. So it's going to take a while for you to kind of level out and make sure that you understand kind of where you are and where you're feeling. But after 30 days is when you should be able to start, you know, determining whether or not those those feelings of depression or anxiety or you know, anything else is is still there. And, and that's when you know you're going to need to seek out some sort of professional help. Yeah. And when you're working the sobriety success program, uh, it's important that you start uh, with the detox part of it and really work that part as well. Um, and we have, you know, a lot of disclaimers within our program about detox and and how you may need to uh, be professionally monitored through that part of the process. And then once you get through detox, um, you can start the actual uh, program into recovery. And that's when you're, you would start to calculate the 30 days. And the 30 days, I would say, is more of a general guideline. Because if after two weeks, let's say, your mental health struggles just start going through the roof, then don't wait until the end because right. then you'll know right away that you need to seek professional help. Yeah, it's, it's not a hard and fast rule. We, we don't want anyone saying, I waited a full 30 days and then I found out that, you know, I, I knew all along or, or something like that. For some of you, you will know and you will understand that, oh man, this is really resonating with me. I really understand. It's like they're talking to me directly. I understand what they're talking about. And that's when you're, you're able at any point to seek out professional mental health help. But how do you do that? Yeah, so let's talk now about how to find a mental health professional and the different types. Um, we talk about this in some of our courses, but um, it's really going to be up to you to do the research on what type of mental health uh, care you might need. Uh, for example, you could see a counselor. So a counselor is somebody who will counsel you. And counselors are there if you have... Uh, things going on in your life that are happening right now. So let's say you're dealing with like a death in the family or, um, you know, things, a divorce, um, things like that. They can help counsel you to get you through those tough moments. They'll give you advice and um, that'll be your treatment or your mental health care. Okay, so let's talk about some of the different options that you have for mental health care. Um, we talk about this in our courses, so you can go back and look through some of those if you uh, need certain ideas, but there's different types of mental health care that you can seek out if you do feel like you need. Um, so for example, you can seek out a counselor. Um, a counselor is somebody who uh, is going to be there to counsel you, um, maybe on things that are going on in your life right now. So let's say you um, are dealing with a divorce or maybe you lost someone close to you. Um, they can give you their professional advice to help you get through those tough times. Uh, then you also have a therapist. So therapists um, are uh, mental health professionals who provide therapy um, specific in a certain niche. So it's really up to you to research what kind of therapy you may think you need. Um, so there's cognitive behavioral therapy, um, rational emotive therapy, family systems. I mean, there's, there's literally probably 15 to 20 different types that you could potentially think about. I think the research leans heavily towards 
cognitive behavioral therapy being one of the most effective. It's not an endorsement from us. It's just something that we know from the literature that we've read and the studies that are out there is that CBT is probably one of the best ways forward. Yeah, absolutely. But but again, it's really um, your choice. And I think that the more um, knowledge that you have, um, the better prepared you'll be to find something that works for you. Now, a counselor and a therapist, they don't provide, they don't prescribe any medication. So if you're feeling like, okay, I really need something to level me out, like my anxiety is through the roof, or I'm, you know, so depressed, I can't even get out of bed, I may need an antidepressant. Um, you might want to make an appointment with a psychiatrist. Um, a psychiatrist is a doctor who can uh, diagnose and prescribe medication. Um, so those are just three of the different types of mental health care that you can choose from, but there are more. Um, and if you're unsure, um, call most counties and cities and states if you're in the U.S. or if you're outside of the U.S. and you're not sure, you can um, check like a local mental health uh, facility near you and you can ask, call them up and ask them to give you um, some sort of, to do like a mental health intake. So you would sit down with a mental health professional for an hour to an hour and a half and then they would give you their professional opinion on, on where to go from there. You can also, if you have insurance, you can call your insurance um, and just talk to them and just figure out what they might recommend. It, not that they can guarantee you get covered or anything like that. This is more just asking them questions because they are there. They generally have support lines that you can call if you have access to them um, as well. And again, you can always ask us for recommendations and, and support and, and we can answer to the best of our ability, uh, you know, give you some advice on there. Definitely. And we'll, we'll be there to answer um you answer any questions that you might have or maybe guide you in the right direction. One other thing to add on to uh, the insurance part of it. So if you call your insurance company, they will be able to, uh, like Nick said, tell you what might be available. Um, most insurance companies do uh, provide some sort of mental health care, so that's important to know. Um, if you're outside of the U.S., you'll just want to contact um, you know, there's different insurance, uh, private insurance or uh, public insurance, depending on where you live, see what they have to offer. Um, but when you contact your insurance company, it's going to be important that you find out exactly what's covered so that you're not surprised with any um, hidden fees or co-pays. Uh, and then once you start calling around to certain mental health professionals to get more information, um, one thing that we want to caution you on is that first initial call um, can say a lot when you're contacting these places because if you're not getting good service on the front end, it doesn't matter how good of a psychiatrist or how good of a therapist they are. If your experience every single time is going to be like not a good one when uh, you need to change an appointment or you're trying to make an appointment, it's probably best to just move on um, at that point and to try to find somebody else. Yeah, you don't want to be blocked or dealing with stress when you're trying to get relief from from that type of situation. Yeah, so and and just just make sure that you you know what's being provided, um, how much it's going to cost you out of pocket, how much your copays are, um, and then that way you're kind of you don't have to deal with that stress as you're going through uh, therapy or counseling or uh, whatever you decide to do. One of the cornerstones of this whole thing, though. 
and ultimately is what kind of the bedrock of what we talk about here at Live Rehab, which is this model of self-care, because you can see the therapists, you can, uh, you know, visit the psychiatrist, you can get the medication, you, you can do, you know, whatever it is that you're being instructed to do. And you can, you can take the steps that everyone's telling you to take, but until you really understand and start practicing self-care, you're going to be in the, in the same kind of headspace, the same general area that you have been in. And self-care is just such an important factor of what recovery and sobriety is all about that we just want to take a few moments just to speak directly about how important it is and what you need to do to ensure you're practicing self-care for yourself. Yeah, so even if you do the 30-day test and you come out of it and you're like, yeah, I'm good, I'm fine. Or if you're not struggling anywhere in your mental health, it's still really important that you uh, take care of your mind um, every single day and you set aside that time for self-care. So some of the things that we've come up with, and you can come up with your own um, as well, um, are things like yoga, uh, taking a run around the block, going swimming, reading a book, watching a funny movie. Meditation um, is a great one, is a good suggestion as well. And anything that allows you to take a few moments to clear your mind, cleanse your mind of the thoughts, um, especially when you consider the fact that if, you're, if you've just quit whatever it is, whatever addiction that you're, that you're dealing with, your hormones are going to be out of balance. Your brain is going to be kind of a bit off kilter a little bit. And so anything that you can do to bring it back to baseline and to... To do those things, I think you should be taking consideration. Hobbies are a good example. Finding a new hobby to get into as well. I know we've talked about this previously from the perspective of triggers to ensure that you're not you know, feeling triggered about something. But this is deliberate practice for ensuring that you are using self-care to you know, kind of strengthen the core of your mind. Yeah, so make sure that you're taking time every day, not just like when you're going through a hard time. Um, even when things are good, you should be practicing self-care. Um, and just make it fun, make it light. Um, everybody tends to think about when you when you hear the self-care talk or think about self-care is like just, you know, sitting and doing yoga and meditating for an hour every day. It doesn't have to be like that if that's not your thing, honestly. Um, you can think of something that you really enjoy doing that's off the wall, just like, what? That doesn't sound like self-care. But if it's self-care to you, it's self-care to you. Yeah, journaling is also a good one. Just a, a final recommendation is to kind of throw out journaling as a, as a good example because journaling is a process that allows you to go back and revisit later on in your life. You can pick certain periods to go back and, and review. And journaling, again, can take five minutes before you go to bed or five minutes when you wake up. But setting intentions for your life, setting intentions for your day in the future allows you to have that future focus, which is which is such an important factor of self-care as well. Definitely. All right. So I think we've covered everything that we wanted to cover in this episode. Uh, we talked a lot about mental health, about the chicken and the egg theory, co-occurring disorders, the 30-day test, and the most important part, self-care. Yep. So if you have any questions, if there's anything we didn't cover, if you aren't sure about something that we talked about, you want more information, please let us know, put it in the comments, send us an email, however you want to get in contact with us, please do. This is Live Rehab, and you've been listening to Addiction Radio, the podcast. You can follow Live Rehab on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, 
Go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next time for another episode of Addiction Radio. Thank you for listening.